Bigfoot Your Radio Reading Service now presents Western York Independent Living's Meet the Candidates Day for Genesee County. Due to a technical error, we are starting in the middle of remarks by Batavia City Council candidate Bob Bielkowski. Um, we bring you his comments now. some years ago, four years, representing the Ford's board, and I served a term. Then after a couple of years, I, a position came open for council at large. So I was appointed for a year because uh, someone moved out of the city. Then I ran an election and won, and uh, was on another four years. So December makes nine years that I've served on city council. Uh, it's pretty exciting. We give a lot to the community. We do a lot of hard work. There's a lot of behind the scenes things people don't see. We have to attend a lot of events, strictly, you know, if you want to or not, but everybody does. We do a lot of presentations, and uh, it's a collaborative effort. There's nine of us council members. There's six wards in Batavia, wards of geographical areas. So there's a council member for each ward, and then there's three council at large. And basically the way it works is, um, call your board council person, you have a problem, situation, complaint, anything, and you don't get any uh, results that you're satisfied with, then you can call a council at large and uh, he, he will have to resolve it, which we normally do. So we work with the staff, we have a city manager. So the council members are basically like uh, executives on a board. The manager runs all the day-to-day -day business, and in Batavia, we operate under what's called a charter. It's the law. The charter is approved by the state of New York. It's approved by the voters. Those are the boundaries we have to confine ourselves to. We can't leave those boundaries. We have, that is the law and land as far as our community goes. So in any event, uh, our council meetings, we really hammer things out. We have, first of all, any item of business has to go to a conference meeting. And that's where we discuss it and uh, really get into the details. We used to get into the details ahead of time. There's a lot of phone calls made, things like that. Then we discuss it on the floor of the council meeting. And from there, it gets moved to the floor at the next general business meeting. At the business meeting, it's pretty much hammered out. There may still be lingering questions, and then we vote on it. So a lot of times, you'll see things. People say, oh, well, look, they all just voted yes, and all that. It was a done deal. It's nothing's ever a done deal. I've actually sponsored things before and then voted no on. I sponsored it to get it to the floor and then voted no because I didn't believe in it or my constituents contacted me or they were against it or whatever. So those those are basically the way the council works. One of the things that I'm a big believer and I tell people all the time when they call and there's some pressing issue say come and speak to the council come and speak at a council anyone anyone can speak at our meetings there's a time limit obviously you can't fill a bus for it's been the whole night but come and speak at the meetings and um, that not only informs all of the council what the situation is the media picks up on it they print print it they run with it and it usually gets action we had a recent one involving the use of a city park and the members came and spoke and 
in the process, I received quite an education. I talked to many parks commissioners, the state park commissioner. I talked to the Western New York State Regional Park Commissioner, found out how the state was handling the issue. And it turned out it wasn't a possible thing that could occur in this particular park. And uh, we uh, said, no, we, we can't do this. It's not going to happen. And everybody went home happy. You know, it's like any deal. You, you leave, you're a little happy, a little sad. You lost a little, but you want a little, and that's the way it should be. Like I said, we have a very hardworking council, and uh, we're getting a lot of things done. We're quite pleased we got through the COVID epidemic, and uh, we came out pretty good financially. Very careful. We're, most of us are pretty conservative. I spend every tax dollars that was coming right out of my pocket because it is. And uh, I talk to, I actually reach out. I call a lot of constituents. I get various opinions from throughout the community. So that's where I stand. Uh, I believe in community service. If people don't give back to their community, the community probably won't give them a lot. So people need to participate. I've spoken to independent living in the past, and uh, I know some of the concerns you people have. I'm a, I'm really a big promoter of people's rights and accessibility. Anyone, people should have the right to go anywhere, do what they want to do. I personally have uh, experienced my family. My dad lost suspicion when he was about 55 years old. And it was uh, from a doctor that was pretty careless. And he ended up becoming, he lost, totally lost all his sight. And I saw the struggles he had to go through. It was difficult. And you know, to this day though, I remember he never let my mother use the handicap spot. He says, now I can walk. He says, there's somebody that can't that really needs that spot. So I, I have my own pet peeves. I see somebody using a handicap spot that shouldn't be there. I'm not afraid to tell him. And uh, one of my big pet peeves, I was discussing it the other day with one of the staff here, is people that park over sidewalks. We spend probably a million dollars a year on Batavia on sidewalk restoration, sidewalk rebuilding. Sidewalks have become a very expensive proposition. The average price for one sidewalk block in front of a home comes out to about $350. So we do things and we, we don't replace individual blocks anymore. We can't afford to. Uh, we replace entire sections. Each intersection for handicapped accessibility has to be individually engineered. They, they uh, have to have a surveyor, they have to swing the angles, they have to do everything. And then uh, we spend all this money, and I go out in the street in the morning with my dog, and I look down the street and I see cars parked over the sidewalk. Right? I've seen cars with a foot out into the street overnight. You know, it's just inconsiderate. Just totally inconsiderate. There's a lot of people walk early in the morning. It, it, this just shouldn't happen. Uh, people parking and no parking zones, restricting uh, visibility, endangering other people. And, uh, you know, my mom spent two years in a nursing home, and uh, I got a real dose of what it's like to have your hands tied, not being able to, not being allowed to do things for yourself. And it's something we should all strive to improve on. So that's some of my thoughts, my feelings, what I represent. Uh, 
I'm only in this for one reason, to represent my friends and neighbors in the community. No other reason at all. I have nothing involved in there for me personally, and uh, that's where I'm at. So I'd like to ask people that have voted in the city to please vote for me. I'd love to continue representing them. So I'll take questions now. All righty, questions first in the room. Do me a favor, will you? Sure. Take take two steps towards the camera. One, two, there we go. That's there we go. Now turn to them and take the questions from the audience. I'm sorry, I'm 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 doing all the things for my staging. jurisdiction and no standards, federal property. Okay. Totally federal property. Now, I always mm -hmm. get a kick out of years ago, there was a great book written, and uh, it was called ADA, the Great American Hoax. And it said, I defy anyone to go up one of those new post office ramps in a wheelchair. And when you looked at it, I mean, it was long and steep. And if you got up there and you didn't make it to the top, you were in trouble. And I, you ramp doesn't look much different to me. I don't know. Well, it is being changed. The one yeah. that was temporary, we are we are working with that, and it is being changed. It is going to be ADA compliantly accessible. And that's where it's important for an organization like yours steps in because, as a city, we can't. There's nothing we can do. Our, it's like where the office used to be. That was a state highway, state control of the parks. And I remember you you had real parking issues there. We couldn't get a handicapped parking spot. State of New York, you send them a letter, you might get an answer back in your lifetime. And we had no jurisdiction. So without standing, the city can't really do anything. And uh, that's why in the past, I know the organization asked the city for help with handicapped parking on Main Street or something we could do it straight back to the state. So are you persistent for your constituents? You don't call back and take over an answer. Because that's with what you see is necessary. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, sort of like that tank rabbit, we can't draw. I'll be back. Right. Scott, you had a question? Yeah, so, hey, Bobby, hard work. Um, so I am uh, visually impaired, so I use the sidewalks all the time. Sure. Um, live on North Lion Street. Um, okay. Right. Sidewalks are bad. Yeah, they've been bad for 10, 12 years, all the time I've lived there. Um, is there any plan? Like, is there a plan to fix the streets outside? Well, we have plans every year. We replace a certain number of feet of sidewalk. And uh, it's up to the, our uh, Department of Public Works had to pick the worst. I, 
which we replaced some sidewalks to some of the various streets. And uh, one of the problems, of course, is, is trees. Uh, tree roots just pitch a sidewalk. Oh, yeah. And of course, as you've probably seen if you walk a lot, a lot of the sidewalks are patched with blacktop. It's a, a temporary repair, which lasts for years sometimes. Uh, to re right now, to remove a full-grown tree in the city of Batavia costs us about $3,700 for one tree. And uh, it's all under a budget. And of course, people want brand new sidewalks because they need a place to park the cars. So <laughs> you end up in the street anyway. But, uh, I don't know what the schedule is for next year. I mean, you know, we'll be working on the budget. I will go from there. But uh, uh, I know the other day, I live on Union Street. Our sidewalks were replaced because we tied it in with the uh, water line replacement. Uh, uh, when they put the water line in, we got a lot of new sidewalks. Part of that grant uh, we had. Well, I think we need water line replacement too. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> one of the things is, and I can only encourage you to call City Hall, voice your opinion, let them know you walk the sidewalks that are horrendous. Please put it on the schedule. Okay. What, is there a particular section in North Lyon? Uh, there's a lot of bad sidewalks. Some are raised six, so the one sidewalk is raised six inches at a pitch. Yeah, I was on a walk in a wood road the other day. And uh, the sidewalk was very similar. The blocks were all pissed in the right direction. And the sidewalks are missing completely. Yeah. And then there's other areas. I just had someone approach me about on the east side of town. They have no sidewalks. And the person has serious concerns because their grandchildren have to walk in the street. And they're concerned about traffic, safety, and I know in some of the neighborhoods, if the neighbors all pitch in and don't want a sidewalk, I don't know that that's a standing rule. I think if we have people pitch in and say, we want, we need some sidewalks for our children, um, that would be their final decision. The first step is to call to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely notify. People don't notify City Hall. You know, uh, there's a rule, it's, it's been a court many times. It's the government, the size of government. It's not necessarily mass geographical areas as far as uh, awareness. So it's up to the citizens to notify their government when there is a problem. That's why there's a, a, a legal document it's called the notice of defect. Let's say you have a big pothole out in front of your house and every time a car goes through you hear it banging away and say, somebody's going to get killed out there. Well, how's government supposed to know? They don't send a guy out every night patrolling the streets and with a flashlight magnifying glass, it's up to the citizen to notify the government. If you were to send a letter right at the top, you write, notice of defect. On North Lion Street's a major pothole, somebody's going to damage their car or fall into it, suffer an injury. Then the, the municipality has a time frame. They have to undertake temporary repairs or restriction or something. And if they don't, then they can be held liable. Okay. And uh, we've had accidents in the city and the county where those defects were uh, filed, and plaintiff actually won. They went to court. Judge said, "You know, the notice of defect was filed. It's two months now. You have thirty days to do something. Nothing was done. Sorry. So, uh, you know, it's it's in a last resort. It's a good good way to go. And uh, there's not retaliation. People don't have to fear that. But 
government does need to be made aware of this to be kept up or repaired or safe. So, thank you. Sure. And Amy um, had a question? Yeah, so I am a City of Batavia resident. I'm a homeowner. And I've been noticing um, like waste disposal. If trash is not getting picked up, um, not by a trash company, like by the individual other homeowner, and complaints have been filed, what would be our next step? So you have someone, they're putting trash out? They're not they're, putting trash out. They're not putting they're trash like, Complicated, <laughs> and it's already been recorded. You mean the putting it like in your backyard? Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay. It's already been recorded to the city several times. Oh boy. So what is the next step? Well, it depends. There's several avenues. Number one, stay on the city. Put it in writing, actually. Okay. Two, if it's garbage, call the county health department. Okay, county health department. Yes, I I had a neighbor years ago. Our garrison. Side, east side of Union Street are pretty small, and I had a neighbor on the rear yards and did it. Several large dogs, and I'm a dog lover. I have to pick up every day. They weren't picking up dirty, and uh, it was, it, I remember that summer the flies were horrendous. We couldn't even sit out in our backyard. And I, I turned it over to the county health department, and they, in my opinion, it was a health issue. And they agreed, and boy, they dropped the boom. That's it. All right, thank you. I, I do want to make sure right before his window ends that anybody who has a question on Zoom has an opportunity to ask him. So if anybody on Zoom has a question to ask Bob, you want to raise your hand or let me know, please. Zoom it in. <laughs> okay. I see no hands. But if you'd be so kind as to answer a question of mine, sure. one of the things that independent living is, is promoting in 2021 is looking at increasing options for people with disabilities to be employed. Can you tell me, Bob, what you might be able to do as a city council member to increase the number of people with disabilities working in Batavia city government? Well, I mean, the city government's an equal opportunity employer. Uh, they don't discriminate. They better not be discriminating. I, I'm sure they don't. And uh, we do have people with disabilities. Yeah. So without naming individuals with disabilities, we... Oh, I wouldn't ask you to do that. wouldn't ask you to do that at all. <laughs> we do have people with disabilities. Basic thing is uh, go down and fill out an application. Depends on the type of job. I mean, there's a lot of the jobs for civil service. And uh, Would you happen to know the number of 55 A, B, or C designated positions that are um, posted in the city of Batavia? No, I wouldn't. No. Okay. Uh, do you know what that is? No. Okay. Uh, 55 A, B, and C are the categories where people would be exempted from the civil service exam if they are otherwise qualified to apply. Okay. Okay. You have to designate positions with that you have to give that designation to a job before somebody disabled can apply. And what we're finding is, as uh, people with disabilities are moving out of government jobs, they're not maintaining the designations. It used to be that uh, local governments were the second biggest employer of people with disabilities. Turns out not to be the case anymore. 
Hence one of the reasons why we asked the question. I want to thank you for taking the time to answer that and to be with us today. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Um, it's always great to be here anyway. So. I'm going to, Scott, my, uh, my MC on site, Ron is apparently ready. He is, yes. Thanks, Pat. Right, Wonderful. Thank Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Thank everyone. You. So we're going to move right to Ron Pangrazio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you can talk to the, the camera. Okay. And every once in a while, because this is being recorded for rebroadcast, uh, help a guy out and turn to the camera. Um, don't have to do it all the time, but if they know that you know there's a camera there, it'll help us out. But the next 15 minutes is yours. Okay, good morning. Uh, it's great to be here. I want to thank uh, Bonnie for the email, uh, which brought this uh, to my attention. Uh, probably the biggest reason was, was to help educate me more, okay, on independent living and lifetime assistance on all of the situations that may occur. Okay, a little bit about myself. My name is Ron Pangrazio. Uh, I am a lifetime resident of the uh, village of Leroy, town of Leroy. Uh, I did my undergraduate work at Brockport. I uh, taught high school math at Gates Chilai uh, for uh, 33 years. And five years after that, I served on the, as the executive director of the Genesee Valley School Boards Association which represents uh, 22 of the school districts here in Genesee, Livingston, and Wyoming counties. So I have been always involved with something in my community. One of the things as I was on the school boards association, I also spent 15 years as a school board member uh, in the Leroy Central School District. Eight of those years I served as board president. So I have been inv involved. This is my first year. I'm just finishing up my first year on the town board. I had to run to fill an expired term. Uh, I have found it very rewarding, very educational. There's a lot of things uh, with the town board that I was not familiar with in regards to, uh, I spent eight or four years, okay, as a village board member as well, back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, just the construction of the budget and everything else. Anything as far as the uh, runnings of the community, uh, I'm, I'm totally uh, prepared uh, with that. Uh, I am running because uh, I am concerned about the community. Uh, as I said, I've lived there all of my life. I feel that I have the common sense approach. I have the time. Uh, I am able to get out into the community and meet people and talk with people, and I think that they are very, uh, find it very easy oh, to, to come back and, and talk, okay, with me. As I mentioned, uh, when I got the email and having the opportunity to speak, sometimes, and I guess I'll just I'll plead the ignorance rule here, that you don't, we don't know everything. And uh, I, I, right away, I went and looked up some things as far as Leroy's use okay, with independent living and lifetime assistance. And it brought to my mind that yes, we do have a home in Leroy, okay, for uh, lifetime assistance. And I'll bet that there's probably 80, 90% of the people in Leroy that aren't really aware, okay, that that facility is there. 
that it is taking care of those people, okay, that have those needs. We have some other locations in the community too that uh, provide uh, living spaces for them. And as I was thinking about just that part of it, it was just uh, last week that we decided to put in a spray park uh, at, at our recreation service. And one of the things about the spray park was that it was going to be totally handicapped accessible where wheelchairs, okay, could be uh, wheeled into the, into the spray park and, and taking care of some of those services. One of the things we've never done, and I, probably because we haven't been asked to do it, we do have a uh, community pool that's only used during the summer months. Maybe that's why we don't get the, uh, as if it were an indoor pool, but it is not handicapped accessible. We don't have the wheelchair uh, access to it. And we certainly don't have the zero degree entry, okay, where somebody could walk into it uh, that's possibly handicapped. But uh, I have been involved with people. I've been involved, I don't wanna use the term politics because I don't, I don't consider it politics. Uh, I read an article paper this morning where all of the board members were of one party affiliation and that's not diversity. And it's like, well, you might have a party affiliation, but once you go in and sit at the table, uh, you're, you're, you're there for everybody. And, and if you're not, uh, you probably sh shouldn't be there. So uh, again, I say I, I live in Leroy. It's the town board in Leroy. I don't know how far out your group goes with the Zoom conference today, but uh, again, it's a, I, I consider it a, a great chance uh, to, to, to be here. The advocacy part of this, I mean, just being able to get the message out to people that there are a large group of our society that, that have needs that some of us are, are that we're not really aware of. So if there's any questions, I'd be happy to. First questions go to the room, so please turn to your audience for those. Okay, Erica? Yes, Mr. Grassy. Yes. Okay. Um, well, thank you for being here. And I am really excited about this wish part. Very excited. And maybe there's a possibility that some Play equipment can be added. Some, I'm sorry, someone. some play equipment. Oh, yes. That yes. is fully accessible. There's a newly accessible playground I saw. I believe it's in Rochester. I don't, don't, <laughs> I'm not positive, but it is a beautiful playground and possibly that could be added as long as it's a new project. Right. Well, we're working right now with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the village of Leroy, as well as the Rotary Club of Leroy, and uh, trying to get some of these facilities. And I know. Uh, adding in any kind of the recreational uh, stuff that they can, you know, hands-on do, do something with, okay, which is different than going over and playing softball or, or a pickleball or something else like that. But there, there's a definite need, okay, for these people to be able to get there and enjoy themselves. I do have one other concern. Um, addiction is a disability, and it's almost a silent disability in many communities. One thing that, I, that always concerns me every time I see it come up is the wine walk, wine walk business tour oh. in um, the village of Leroy. I I just wonder if that's in good taste. I I, I understand do, that. It, do you think it's there's a wine walk that still takes place in Leroy? I I, I haven't seen I one since the pandemic. <laughs> I don't think they. They there was one prior to the pandemic. They have not. Okay, as I said, I, I get out in the community a lot. I'm not familiar at all 
with the wine walk. Of course, it's uh, something to do probably with the business council, you know, mm -hmm. promoting things like that, uh, even with their uh, winter fest or something, which might involve uh, hot chocolate or something else too. Yeah. And some businesses, uh, you know, whether it would involve some sort of alcohol or what, uh, it's it's there. It's not bad, um, but it has to be controlled. Okay. I would like it to see. I would like it to be a safer, like hot chocolate, um, yeah. things like that, cheese, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Well, they'll have the choice for that if there is one. I, I'll be very honest with you. I have not seen anything in the last four or five years that would deal with the wine walk on the Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Anything else? Questions from the audience. So now we're going to turn to questions from Zoom, and I have a couple to start because you admitted that one of the, the primary purposes of you coming today is education. So we're going to start with some really simple things. Can you tell me how many people work for the town of Bergen? Work for the? The, the town of Bergen. Town, town of Leroy? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, right, right idea, wrong line. The town of Leroy. How many okay. people work for the town of Leroy? That's okay. Between the people that are in the, the the office, between all of the departments that are there, as well as the highway department, you know, we're probably uh, talking close to twenty. Okay, twenty people. And to the best of your knowledge and belief, has anybody in the the town council talked about? a transition plan on the property that the town owns and operates. A transition plan meaning to make it handicap accessible or is Correct. Correct. Uh, our building is totally handicapped accessible now. Okay, mm -hmm. we're, we're located right on uh, Main Street in Leroy. We are, and we're all on, on, on a single uh, level. So we don't have any stairs. Or anything else that anybody has to go up. Uh, we were very. Go ahead. Go ahead. We were very uh, involved with the rebuilding, okay, of Wolcott Street in Leroy, which happens to go by the elementary school as well as the Woodward Memorial Library. Mm -hmm. And for years, it was always very difficult to get from a parking place in front of the library to enter the library, which had a ramp. It wasn't very nice, and now they have landscaped it so that the in front of the library is right at curb level, so that they uh, do not have a, a difficult uh, effort to uh, get, get get a wheelchair to the library. So I think everybody is trying to take care of those things, uh, and again, it has to get brought to their attention, okay, that there is a problem. Well, and the reason why we ask these questions is because from an education standpoint, right? Yes. Um, transition plans are possible for governments that employ more than 50 people. Leroy, Leroy doesn't. However, there are things that Leroy is still supposed to do in terms of making sure its services are accessible to its residents, right? Yes. So you answered my first question for me. That's great. The second question is, can you tell me who your ADA coordinator is? No, I cannot. So you could commit to us 
as a member of the council that we're going to find out who that person is and make sure that your local community knows who that is? I think you can be assured of that. As I said when I started, I talked to Bonnie when she invited me here. Mm -hmm. And the advocacy part, the educational part of making the community aware, making Ron Pangrazio aware, okay, more about what uh, independent living, okay, uh, it is all about. So I, uh, I assure you that the person in charge of ADA, uh, I'll, I'll know their name. Uh, wonderful. Um, I, at least I'm almost done on my questions. I do want to offer anybody else here on Zoom an opportunity to ask a question. Please raise your hand or put something in the chat for me so I can find it. I'll give them another moment. And as they do that, uh, you mentioned the fact that you have a pool that isn't accessible, right? Uh, handicapped accessible? Right. Yes, we, yes, we do. But you could commit to investigating ways that we could fix that problem, right? I think that uh, it definitely should get looked into. Uh, the pool, uh, it, it, it's an older pool, but there's always constant work being done on it. And even just with the purchase of the uh, handicapped chair that, that, that would swing over the side of it, uh, that, that is something that can definitely get looked into. Right, exactly. Okay, those are all my questions. I don't have anything else from Zoom. Nobody's raised their hand that I know of, so I want to thank you for taking the time to come in and see us today. Um, this will be rebroadcast for Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service, right, as made of, and made available on our social media. So people are going to be able to see this right up until Election Day. That's okay. good. So I, thank I, you so And I've learned a lot from being here. Thank you so much for coming in. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, to my MC in the room, Scott is our next uh, Vic, I mean participant available. Yes. Yep, we'll we'll have him come in momentarily. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And once you get over, there's a. Oh my God, it's like a maintenance gear. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go through here. Uh, and then you got like a little balloon. You can take the mask off while you're right. speaking. All right, yeah, to the mark there and, and look into the, the camera. All right. So you're, you're on your mark. So what we'd like you to do is do the statement to the camera. Then we're going to do questions first to the audience. You can turn to them and then back to Zoom for any other questions. And then you're going to be done. Your 15 minutes starts now. Um, hello, my name is Eugene Jankowski Jr. I'm presently on city council. I'm the city council president. Uh, I've been here before uh, talking to uh, individuals at Independent Living during my past campaigns. Um, it gave me an eye-opening experience about the voting machines, about disabilities, people with special needs, things like that. Um, so I've tried to incorporate that into my voting as a council member. Um, what I've done is a couple of things that I come to mind. We uh, did a resolution several years ago, um, uh, resolving that the city would look uh, into uh, universal access for all future constructions and or projects. Uh, some of that's coming to fruition uh, now with the uh, recovery funds. We're gonna upgrade Austin Park to have more universally accessible uh, 
um, fun things for kids and people with disabilities to be able to use. Um, also, we partnered with the YMCA this year, or last year during COVID, um, when that came back open. Um, so we were able to gather again. Our youth center um, now has a partnership with the Y, and they provide additional services that we could never provide. Uh, the pool, the facilities, and they also use uh, Liberty Center for Youth as their uh, main place to uh, help kids with learning disabilities and things like that. So I think it's really important, and, and I'm glad to be here to hear your input um, so that I can continue on in that realm to uh, keep furthering that um, progress so that we can learn and, and educate others to uh, pay more attention to the uh, other people's needs and other people's uh, maybe abilities or disabilities where they can all get the same treatment and uh, partake in city's functions and, and get access to all that the city offers. So I'll take any questions or? First set of questions come from in the room, so you can turn to them. Scott will moderate for a few moments. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Regina, correct? Right. I'm here because I'm independent living at the Josie Region Council. Right. Um, talking about activities, getting back to life post-COVID. I, the bid district has been doing awesome or was doing awesome prior to COVID and is getting back. One concern that I have, and I have this concern in different places as well, addiction is a very real issue and it increased during COVID dramatically. Right. It is a disability. Right. And there are several treatment facilities right near the bid district. It would be nice if there weren't the wine and beer walks. Um, as it would be nice if they could be had chocolate and tea walks to visit businesses. It's a great idea. I would really like to see that because with so many treatment facilities in place, those people want to get out and enjoy their community, right. but when they don't want to be tempted by you know alcohol yeah. or various things, right? Many of them are in current treatment or currently discharged, and they should be able to go and really enjoy their community too without having that risk and anxiety. Right, and I, I agree with that. Unfortunately, the bid has their own board of directors, okay. and they're they're a separate entity supported by city council. But we really, and we have one member, one voting member on that staff. Mm -hmm. So they pretty much dictate what they want to do. And I would think it's it's driven by money and um, capitalism, so to speak, so that they're going to look at how can we best use our facilities to bring in the most people into our businesses so we get the most traffic so they might buy goods from my store, right? Um, so I would suggest make that suggestion and next time I run into Beth Kemp, I run into her occasionally at dedications and things like that. I, I, I will gladly bring that up to her and say, you know, why not do something non-alcoholic, non-drug related or whatever um, to maybe bring people out, maybe with children and they're, they don't want to drink. And there, there might be a lot of different people that would enjoy an event like that, not just people who have addictions. So that's probably a good idea and maybe they haven't thought of it. Maybe they can do a really good festival or some type of thing that they can involve that. So I think That's it's a great idea. We have a three-year-old granddaughter and adults do not drink rum. No, no, so, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a drinker myself. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I haven't attended the wine walk or the beer thing um, mm -hmm. in a while just because I have conflicts, but I like to go to socialize and, and to meet my friends and whatnot. But my wife and I aren't really, we're not really into the wine part of it. I mean, like an occasional, but not. To go there for the whole day and drink all these wines. I mean, I got to drive home. You know, I don't really like. I have to set a better example. I hold myself to a higher standard, being a former law enforcement retired. 
Um, I believe my conduct in public should reflect my belief and not be out drinking and driving and getting trying to get away with stuff. I don't think that's the right way to go. Well, thank you. I hope that's important to you. And if you would pass that along, I will. I certainly do that. I can do that. Anyone else? Yeah, I'll take it. All right, uh, Scott has a question. Scott with uh, LGR, um, with Batavia. What, what is your input on cleaning up um, the city of Batavia in reference to uh, the slumlords, the uh, rental properties that are, you know, I live on a beautiful street. What street do you live on? North Line. Okay, great. And I have one house right across the street. Well, and it's funny you say that because um, in, in anticipation of my next term, or in one way or another, I still have a couple months left. So one of my goals was to start paying more attention to like Ellicott Street, since we've seen City View Apartments um, rejuvenate the old Sableot building there. And now Severino property is scheduled to uh, go off in November. It's been a long delay, a lot of federal and state bureaucratic nightmare trying to clean up that mess over there because it's a brownfield. It's got contaminants in the soil and such, diesel fuel. So that has started the domino effect and that was pushed by uh, you know, economic development people convinced me that we can get some of these cleaned up. The neighbors will want to clean up and it'll go right down the line. So along that line, I've talked to several people on Ellicott Street, and there is one business, the old Dewey Towner TV place, all boarded up, surrounded by beautiful businesses. So it's similar to what your neighborhood you're talking about, right? So we've also, um, and I talked to the city manager just the other week about this, now that COVID distracted us so long, we're able to get back on track. One of the things was neighborhoods, starting for neighborhood groups. Uh, we had a situation on Centennial Park where they wanted to put in a disc golf. So um, the neighbors got all together. They didn't like that idea, so they expressed that and they gathered. And, and I said, well, we're not really going to put it there anyway, but you've gathered. Keep this group together. Maybe there's other improvements we can make, like Redfield Parkway group. They just put a bunch of signs honoring their veterans. They put flags up. They put trees up at Christmas time. So I think I'd like to see more neighborhood involvement. In my own neighborhood, we had a disruptive house. And the neighbors contacted me about it because it was at the other end of the street. I didn't see it. Um, we, they got together. They stayed persistent in a group. And groups, sometimes there's safety there, right? And they formed a neighborhood group. And they went, went by the law and they reported code violations, and they reported violations they saw. Um, two arrests were made, and I got a call from the neighbor there the other day, and he thanked me, and he said, it's calmed down dramatically. Mm -hmm. So we want to apply some of that knowledge towards other streets, not just my street, but other streets. And, and I said that, keep track of what we're doing, because these houses pop up on occasion where people don't clean them, they don't repair, garbage all around loud music, um, drug activity, whatever. Uh, we want to start having a, like a lesson plan or some kind of a plan. So when that happens, we know what works and we can attack all these individual problems and then get them cleaned up and, and resolved. So it's on the list of things to do, but COVID kind of directed us all towards survival and, and trying to get our budget. And then now we're into a new budget year uh, starting in January. We'll be looking at the new budget for 21-22. And we don't even know where our funds are because everything was so disrupted. Everything came back around. So it's on the list. Yeah, it's we on we the have list. a small group um, together. Um, Mr. Randall knows all of us by name already. Right. Another mm -hmm. place department says there's nothing that can be done about it. Well, and we've addressed that too because um, that's what my neighbors got. 
And I was disappointed with that because when I was on the police department, I never said there's nothing I could do. I said, let me look into it and see what I can do. So I told them, I told Rachel, from my experience, I was a police lieutenant and acting chief for a period of time. I said, that's unacceptable. You don't tell a person who wants your help, sorry, nothing I can do, and then drive away and they stand there frustrated. That's ridiculous. I completely agree with you. My brother just retired from the state for safety and he feels the same Who's way. Who's your brother? Todd. Todd Cross. Oh, Todd. Yeah, I worked with him forever. Yeah, I know Todd. Great guy. He was our deputy chief for a while. Right? Uh, and, uh, you know, it's too bad he couldn't stay around because we were actually you know, hoping someday he'd become the chief. But, um, yeah, it's exactly what, what we had this conversation, and Rachel, our uh, city manager, agreed with me. She said, you know, it's you don't leave somebody hanging and say, nothing I can do when you're the police and they called you for help. You say, let me look into it and see what I can do. And Deputy Chief Camp took that attitude that I suggested came back about a couple weeks later and looked at the case, looked at all the video from all the neighbors and the police being there. They were totally disrespected. They were called names of police were there, lighting off explosives at the police car when the police weren't looking. It was totally ridiculous. Um, and arrests were made. So there is something we can do, not necessarily at the moment, but we should look into it. We'll get back to you and we'll research it and we'll see if we can find code or police or social services, or whatever we can do to correct the problem. Not to hurt people, but we want to just bring them to a better conduct of behavior. Thank you. Right? Anyone else? Any other questions or concerns? All right, so now we turn to our folks on Zoom. Okay. Uh, anybody who wants to ask a question on Zoom, please be so kind as to raise your hand. Remember, that's the reaction function in Zoom. Or you can put something in the chat and I'm happy to either unmute your microphone or ask it for you. While I give them an opportunity to prepare the questions and raise their hands, you are president of the council. Correct. Currently, yes. Um, and so could you tell us, for example, uh, one, of our, one of our big priorities is to try and get more people with disabilities employed, right, including in local governments. Do you know how many 55A positions are designated for city employees? Um, I'm not sure what, the, what do you mean by 55? 55A are those designations that would exempt a qualified person with a disability from needing to take a civil service test to take a job with local government. Well, unfortunately, I have no control over the civil service test. So, and we've had a beef with that because we're, it's difficult for us to find qualified officers because the civil service test restricts us to certain parts of the list. And maybe they have criminal backgrounds or things like that that wouldn't make them good officers. And we can't bypass that unless they sign off. And usually they won't sign off because they're you know, and I completely understand that problem, but you recognize I'm talking about all city employees and not just police. Right. Because and when you're talking about when you're talking about people with disabilities, they might be restricted from being police officers by virtue of their impairment. Right. Right. So my 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 issue is to make sure that we know how many slots would be available for a person with a disability to take in city government in those positions where they wouldn't be excluded. Completely understand if you don't know the answer, it's one of the reasons why we asked the question. Well, you, um, I, I know part of that, because um, we talked about that recently um, with a recent hiring, um, and, and they were talking about political affiliation, okay? And, and we, were, we were commenting on 
it's nice in the city, they don't consider that. Some, we were reading an article about some city that they were getting a big tizzy about Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. And in the city, we don't ask those questions. If the person's qualified, they're qualified. It doesn't really matter um, as far as their disability or their ability. Um, I remember um, one of my good friends, his mom was confined to a wheelchair and she worked at the city and they made arrangements for her. And she was confined at the wheel, in the wheelchair when she got hired. So it wasn't something that happened and they accommodated. Um, so in talking to the city manager, I know she's really open to the idea. If a person's qualified, they're not concerned about their disabilities or their abilities. Um, and uh, well, they're concerned about their abilities over their disabilities. And for example, um, our city manager prior to this one we have now uh, had a visual impairment and council didn't, didn't even consider that. We looked at his qualifications. He was able to do the job. He got the job. Okay, and we made arrangements for his physical, his vision disabilities was not a problem. Okay, so um, I, as a council member, I have no concern over disabilities. I just want the person to be able to do the job and, and will accommodate. And I'm pretty sure I can speak. That's the way the city manager feels as well. I'm not sure if we have dedicated positions. That I don't know. Um, I know it's based on the job and the individual. And if it's a physical job like a laborer at DPW, Obviously, you got to be able to physically do that job. But if it's like a driver or something where they can, you know, maybe they have a back injury and they can't stand for long periods of time, I know we've accommodated people in the past. So qualifications are number one, and ability to do the job. And after that, we're, we're pretty flexible on that. All righty. I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to answer that question. I see no hands in Zoom while we've been talking. So I believe that concludes your time with us. I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to come out and talk with us. It's always great to hear from the president of the council. Uh, yeah, and again, I'm only the president because council elects me to be their president. And it basically is more symbolic. I sign all the paperwork. I manage the meetings. But I have no control over other council members. So I'm just another vote on council as a at-large council member. Just to make everybody assumes I'm kind of like, you know, in charge of something. I do have direction, but no more than any other council member would. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. No, I, I, absolutely. And thank you so much for Todd, coming. This is Ray. Todd? Yeah? Ray. I have one question. I think we have another minute. Um, OK. This is a question regarding low-income housing. So the programs that Independent Living runs um, pay for people to stay in motels, people who are experiencing um, homelessness. Um, they have disabilities. And we keep hearing that people don't want low-income housing in their neighborhoods. So what, what's your position about creating more low-income housing in order to help people get housed and out of these shelter type of situations? Well, um, they're, they, they're building a um, low-income housing, I believe, right next to Miss Batavia. So that is going to be open up soon. There's going to be many rooms or many apartments in there. Across the street from there is DePaul. And they handle a lot of uh, people with disabilities, I'm, I'm sure. And there was one time uh, out by the, uh, on East Main Street, um, they wanted a rezoning issue. That didn't go over very well because uh, um, the location was really not right for what they were trying to do. So that had some uh, outcry. But I have no problem with it. And, and as far as the Severino properties on uh, where the old Dalpena property is across from, um, next to the, um, across from the new City View Apartments, Save Lot and whatnot. Um, there's, that's gonna be more middle income housing. 
but that's also for people, uh, you know, to, to get out of their parents' house, uh, their first jobs or whatever, or they have some type of income coming in. But uh, it's definitely for middle class or low income. It's not subsidized housing. I think most people in, in the city get upset with subsidized housing versus low income housing. And, and I don't know what the distinction is there or why they feel that way. Um, I just think they, you know, some of the feedback I received was that if you pay for something, you appreciate it more and you take care of it. Where historically, if something's giving for free, um, you know, and I've seen it where, you know, it's middle of a blizzard and I get sent to a call as a police officer and I you know, knock on the door and the cigarette smoke hits me in the face and the, the, the 80 degrees in there. And I'm like, why is it so hot in here? And they say, oh yeah, we, it's free. So we just crank it up and they're wearing a t-shirt and shorts. And I'm like freezing and my home is like 65 degrees because I'm not there trying to conserve energy so that I'm not wasting it. Um, that's kind of upsetting, you know? I mean, I don't know, you know, so I guess if, like my dad said, you know, turn that light off. You're, you're not paying for it. I am. And, and I didn't understand that. Now that I'm paying for it, I appreciate it. And I turn it off and I don't waste energy. And I don't waste electricity. So maybe that's some of it, but we're always looking at new ideas. We're always looking... I definitely agree we need more housing in the city of Batavia. There's a housing crunch for all types of people that want different houses or apartments or whatever. So we're open to it. It's just got to be a good project. It's got to fit in the location. Um, and then up to the public, I can't control what the public thinks. That's an outreach maybe others can do to convince the public that it's not a bad idea. Just a thought. All righty. I want to thank you for answering that question. Ray, do you have anything else? No, thank you very much. All set. All righty. All right. Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you. Uh, Scott, as I understand it, our next candidate is not with us yet. She is. She's arrived. Okay. We are going to need to take a break for a moment as the interpreters are switching at the noon hour. Okay. So. We're just going to take a break for two minutes while we figure out where the new interpreter is. Please and thank you. Alrighty. Okay. Mike, uh, Mike, Joan Blum is the next interpreter. So if you want to put her in spotlight. Stand. 
So I can see both the candidate and the interpreter. This is very important. Um, next up on our list is Erica O'Donnell, uh, brand new for Batavia City Council. Um, we just ask that you make your statement to the camera, and we're going to take questions from the room, and then we'll take questions from Zoom, and uh, that'll do nicely. Your 15 minutes starts now. Okay, like you said, my name is Erica O'Donnell. I'm running for city council at large. Um, I live on the south side of Batavia on Pearl Street, right near Oliver's. Um, I moved there in 2011 with my husband, Patrick. Since then, we've added to our family with one dog from the Genesee County Animal Shelter, um, a daughter, Lila, she's seven, and a son, Connor, who's five. Both kids go to the city of Batavia School District. Um, as far as myself, I have been involved in local politics since I was old enough to vote. Um, and before that, for that matter, my grandfather in the town of Alabama, where I grew up, was a town councilman for many years, ran at one point for county legislature, and I was his youngest and one of his only volunteers <laughs> for a small race like that. And, uh, you know, started stuffing envelopes, making phone calls, and um, from there, he got me involved in the Genesee County Democratic Committee, uh, where I am now the chair of the City Batavia Democrats. Um, been involved with races, like I said, from the smallest races, uh, town council, all the way up to, um, you know, making phone calls for Senate and congressional candidates. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, as far as my vision for the City of Batavia, uh, I think I bring a fresh perspective to council. Um, I've, in my time in Batavia, have been told many times that, you know, we do things this way because it's the way it's always been done, um, it's the way it's always been. I'm not someone who backs down from a challenge. Um, hard things are hard, but they're achievable, and we can um, make changes and do the hard things. Um, some of my pet projects in the city um, involve things like parking. The, um, there is, to me, no reason in the city that we can't park overnight on streets in the good weather. Most municipalities have those laws. I think there's no reason um, to not, if you're not, you don't have to plow. People are working on um, construction projects or having events, and I think there's no reason really to not let those vehicles be there. And then as far as downtown parking goes in lots, we've had great success bringing new businesses downtown, especially restaurants. And if I were to go to one of our great local restaurants and have a couple of drinks, make the responsible decision, call an Uber, call a cab, have a friend take me home and leave my vehicle in a steal out overnight, I'm going to be rewarded for making the right decision of not driving home with a $25 ticket the next morning. Um, but I understand that things, sometimes you have to be a little creative and compromise with things like that. Obviously, you have to plow. Well, there's no reason that they can't get the plowing done on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And then over the weekend when the restaurants and bars are busy, let people park. It shouldn't be a big deal. Um, yeah, I guess that's a little bit about me. If there are any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Um, 
Yep. I'm Scott Rossett. Um, so you have a dog, so you be a dog lover. I am. Any, is there any bit, uh, any interest in a, a dog park in the city of Batavia? Um, sure. There's so many, you see dogs on every single street. Oh, absolutely. Dogs and there's no dog park in the That's something I would love to see in one of our parks is an area where dogs um, can be off leash in some area. We live near Williams Park, take our dog there often, um, but of course he's going to be on a leash the whole time, which is fine. He's, you know, he's getting a little older anyway. I'm not sure how much running around <laughs> he would do, um, but certainly in his younger days, he would have loved a more open area. Um, we're lucky to have a nice backyard. We have a beautiful backyard in the city, but not everybody has that, um, especially our apartment dwellers. Now we're getting more apartments downtown. Um, a lot of them are above businesses and they don't have that outdoor space. So I think it's really beneficial for pet owners. As far as parks go, I also, and this is something that Rosemary Christian has been talking about on the South Side for years, is putting a spray park on the South Side. When I was little, 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 <laughs> my dad played men's softball at Kitty Park, and there was a fountain there, a time in a waiting pool. Mm -hmm. And that was taken out a long time ago. Um, I know there are safety issues and concerns for the waiting pools now, but um, that Splash Park in Austin Park, man, all summer, that thing's packed. Um, it'd be great to have something on the south side for kids. I think Kitty Park, Williams Park, there's lots of space there. Um, I th yeah, I think something could be done over there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hi. Eric Krikosinski, Independent Living um, Council Member. I see here a lot about first responders um, parking for drinking, for mm -hmm. people who drinking, which I appreciate that. But what is your position on adding some mental health resources to the police department? I would love to see that. I have said, and uh, don't shy away from the fact I'm a Democrat. I'm in the minority in the city, I'm in the minority in Genesee County, and people love to scream about Democrats want to defund the police. Um, it's not been my experience with Democrats, I know that we want to defund the police, but I think we need to let the police do their police work. And we need to give more funding to mental health in Genesee County, give more resources to people who can um, de-escalate situations before it becomes a police situation. When it when there is an emergency, I live with psychiatric disabilities, mm -hmm. and when I was younger, it was very hard. Um, and my parents had had to call the police on me. Honestly, mm -hmm. I was difficult to manage. But the police came. There okay. was no there was no intervention of any sort. Sure. The police came. So I actually can relate to that. My husband's aunt um, is blind, mm -hmm. and she grew up um, in the town of Oakfield. And there was a situation at one point she. Was a teenager and got a woman gun. Rural Oakfield, Genesee County. Mm -hmm. Her parents did the same thing. They called the police. The police came. Luckily, no one was hurt. But the police officer got there and said, "I'm so sorry. We didn't know she was blind. We didn't know she was disabled. We took her down hard." The police weren't prepared for that situation. The police weren't trained for that situation. And was it a dangerous situation? Should the police have come? Yes but they should have had support from someone who understood what she was going through and understood um, how to better help her in that situation. Thankfully, everything turned out fine, no one was hurt, but it could have gone bad. And I think that's a situation for a lot of people who struggle with mental health, and especially in rural areas, there are so few resources. So do you think that there's a way to, when that 911 call was made, have 
have a police officer that can make a mental health assessment, rather than being a police officer that is has to be aggressive towards a person with a mental health disability, somebody who can make an assessment and reach out to a mental health professional. Absolutely. There should be training for the officers if there's not already. I'm not terribly familiar with the policies are in the police department. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's not training for that, there absolutely should be. And there should be, and it, sadly, as with most things, it comes down to money. They need the funding for that kind of thing. Um, and that's something they should absolutely be provided with. And that'll be a pillar for you? Absolutely. That's absolutely something I believe in. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Any other questions? Not any in the Zoom or? No, no, I was like, are we done with the questions in the room? Because then we'll go to Zoom, right? Yes. So, yeah. so now I'm going to ask our folks in Zoom to raise their hand if they want to ask me a question or add it to the chat. Um, I am going to go to Ray first because I know she might have a question uh, that she wants to provide from the word go. Ray, you there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead. <laughs> Independent living has a number of people who are homeless that we're helping and they are put in the local motels as shelter. And as we try to help developers come into the area, we often hear people don't want low income housing in their neighborhood. What do you think, what's your position about that? Uh, actually, I was just asked this question yesterday by an of someone who was wondering how I felt about housing in the city. Um, we definitely need low-income housing in the city, affordable housing in the city. Um, I live not right in my neighborhood, but not far from Birchwood Village and from South Main Apartments, um, which are on a slider, you know, subsidized. And those are the best neighbors in our neighborhood. <laughs> they run a tight ship. They, um, we have no problems from them. Um, the problems that we have are from out-of-town landlords who don't, you know, keep on top of their properties. Um, uh, we own our home on Girl Street. The two houses opposite us, both of them are single family rentals. The one is almost the identical floor plan to ours. The other is very similar with a smaller yard and their rent is double or more my mortgage. And that's crazy to me <laughs> um, that we can afford to live in our house just because we're privileged enough to be able to get a mortgage. Um, I might not be able to afford to live in a house like mine if it were a rental property. Um, so yes, I absolutely believe we need more affordable housing in the city. And not only that, I think we need more emergency housing in the city. A couple winters ago, I remember one of the churches had opened up for emergency warming centers and went to below a certain, um, a certain temperature. They had housing temporary overnight housing for people. We need something like that, whether it's working with, you know, a combination of the city, working with a not-for-profit or working with, you know, a church or the YWCA, whatever, something. We need something for emergency housing for people. Um, I know you guys work with the motels to do that. Um, that's not enough. And those motels tend to be further out in the city, where if we had a downtown or closer to a more walkable area, I think it would be easier for people to navigate the city. If you're way out on Route 5, that's a long way to walk. If they have to go to an appointment here, for, for instance, or a doctor's appointment, or you know, get to the pediatrician's office out on North Street, that's a long way to get, to get somewhere. 
But just for your own information, the First Baptist Church is going to be having a warming shelter. It's um, going to be overnight from November 15th till March 15th. I had heard that that's great um, to 15 degrees or below. And uh, people will be able to go there. They're calling it the Cold Night Cafe. And people can spend the evening there. Yeah, that's fantastic and, and very much needed. If I can add to the lower income housing yes. um, the old Alpenland building has been kind of hanging out there collecting for many, many years. Yes. Why is that not a possibility of a site for lower income housing? Along with, well, I realize there's a date. Sure. But um, I don't see why it wouldn't be. Um, that's, that, I mean, that building's going through, um, that property, I should say is going through a lot right now with the person who purchased it, getting their funding and getting things all in order. And just City Council, I believe last week, they were actually discussing that to have uh, what type of housing they were they were going to have in there. Once they do get in there, I do hope it's affordable. I know the housing market right now is just crazy. Um, I can't imagine what my housing costs right now on the market, but if I were to sell it, I probably couldn't afford one. Um, but, um, Market rate for apartments and for housing is just so high right now. We need something more affordable for the people in this area. Do you have a number that you consider affordable housing currently? Okay, well, my home is four bedroom. We are a family of four uh, plus a dog. <laughs> uh, our mortgage is around $700 a month. To me, that's pretty affordable for a four bedroom home, one and a half baths, 1,900 square feet, or something like that. To me, I think that's affordable. I think um, anything over, you know, six to eight hundred dollars, that's getting for somebody working. Even a minimum wage is going up, and um, low wage jobs are paying more in the past few months. Who knows how long that's going to last? Um, but right now, somebody making minimum wage usually can't make bread. So, income. so if I could ask a question just to follow up on that for you, could you tell me? if you know what the average amount a person with a disability gets on a federal benefit? Ooh, that's a great question. I don't know that. Well, um, we, well, well we do, and that average yeah. amount is $875. Okay. I was going to so, guess $1,000 a month. So right. Yeah. So if you had to do all of those things that you just described on $875. Right. Are we doing everything that we could be doing to be helping folks find affordable and accessible housing? As a city or? Yes. Uh, no, I think we could definitely do more. I think we could definitely um, encourage those places to come in, be kinder to them when they do come in. Um, typically when they, they come in, I mean, council shoots them down all the time. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> As I said, I live near near. When you're when you're ref you're referring to low income housing proposals, correct? Not like individuals coming in looking for assistance with housing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a developer coming in to build something, right? They typically um, are not viewed favorably um, at, at council meetings. Seems like we need an opportunity for some education with the council members oh, to understand absolutely. what what low income truly is. Mm -hmm. um, Eight hundred and something dollars a month is not a lot of money. 
No, abs oh, absolutely uh, not. And that's, by, by the way, that designation is called very low as opposed to low. Absolutely. Right? So um, one of the problems that we have in terms of, of dealing with the funding of those projects is, is that very low isn't a category that is mandatorily accounted for. Low is, but very low is not. So they use tax credits to build buildings. The tax credits have an income minimum that that $875 doesn't meet, and they're not eligible to apply for the units because they don't have enough money. Gotcha. Um, as a city leader, do you know what the waiting list for a housing choice voucher in Batavia is? I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, if, I, if I were to tell you that that is a three to five year waiting list. That's way more than I would have thought. Uh, yeah, and you guys have a low waiting list. In other areas of Western New York, the waiting lists approach 10 years. That's mm -hmm. awful. <laughs> It is an interesting concept, isn't it? it is, and it's inexcusable. There's no, there's got to be, I'm not saying I know the answer. I don't have the answer to everything. I'm always willing to learn. And I think the biggest job of a city council member is to represent the city, to represent the residents. And I'm absolutely willing to sit down and talk with any resident, any leader, anyone who wants to call me out for one when I, because you don't know what you don't know. No one does. And um, hear their concerns. I'm an open book. I'm happy to talk to, talk to anyone about um, my experiences or what experiences are lacking. Um, but absolutely, if I were to um, win the race on Tuesday, the first thing I would do is set up monthly uh, co coffee hours, coffee socials, whatever, to sit down with the residents and discuss anything they want to talk about um, and hear what their concerns are and what their needs are. Um, if I were to have guessed before you told me how long that wait list was, I would have said six months. I'm sure you wish it was six months. Um, but you know, six months is too long when you're looking for housing. Um, it's just too long. Right. This is this is part of the the education part of it. My job is to is to feed you information, to give you some thought as you answer their questions in the room. Um, we have reached our fifteen minutes. Uh, I do want to do a last bite on questions for anybody, and I'm not hearing any, but in the room might have one. And thank you so much for coming in. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Uh, out my literature to the people in the room if anyone mm -hmm. wants to reach out to me um, my contact information is on there i'm happy to answer any questions i'm happy to uh, i mean email facebook whatever however is the best way for someone to get in contact with me we'll make that happen meet you for a cup of coffee somewhere i'm happy to do that and as i've said the whole thing is going to go up on our social media and be broadcast on niagara frontier radio reading service right up for election day so people get an opportunity to hear your remarks all right. We wish you best of luck in your campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay. I hope you don't feel like you had a rapid fire attack. No, no, no. These are all facts that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. I think it's for making better for you. And absolutely. Something that you understand you need to learn about to represent. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You don't know what you don't know
never thought of it that way. I don't, I don't have the same experiences as the people in the room, and that's just that's life. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we were trying to wrap it up. No, not about <laughs> that at all. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Start our last person is not here yet. Whether she's going to do Zoom, I don't know. So. Uh, well, I've been told that she. I've been told that she's going to Zoom. Okay, I was and, and she is not in the waiting room yet. Okay. I think um, she's scheduled for twelve thirty. Right, and normally when when we recommend they they try to get in like five minutes before so that we're not dealing with our audio. But it is going to be a small break. Hi, Dad. Hello. While we wait for those folks, and while I'm dealing with small breaks, I'm going to ask the question I've asked at all of our Meet the Candidates days. Has anybody done early voting yet? And if they have, I'd be very curious to hear about their experiences. No one. No one has done early voting yet. Uh, can we ask who just said hello to you? Is the candidate on the line? No, the candidate uh, the, the candidate has not been let in from the waiting room. Okay. Right. And the interpreter wouldn't have waited so long if I'd have known she was the interpreter, but unfortunately it scrolled right off the chat window. <laughs> I didn't get it right away. <laughs> Thanks, Joan. I will make an announcement as soon as I see her in the waiting room to give you guys an opportunity to regather. And you're going to be right over there, and you can take your mask off while you're talking. And you have right. here. Little blue mark right on the floor there. Your little blue mark there, and you'll be at the. <laughs> and uh, we'll wait for Todd to start us, get us going again. Looks like we got 16, but this is um, going to be broadcast to the um, Niagara radio reading oh. and then also going to be posted on our social media okay. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Are you the moderator? Like, no, Todd Farwick actually is. My apologies. Uh, I was I was taking a call from our CEO uh, during our break. Um, all right. So, is everyone back in at the site location, Scott? Yep, we're all set. All right. And thank you so much for joining us in person. I sat here waiting for you to pop up in our Zoom waiting room. <laughs> no, so I barely made it. <laughs> it's so much more important when you come in person. Yes. All right. So, 
What we're going to do is I'm just going to ask that you give your general statement here to the camera. Then we're going to take questions from the audience. Then we'll ask for questions from Zoom. And then your time with us will be concluded. Your 15 minutes with us starts now. Hi, I'm Ann Sapienza from the town of Bergen. I've lived in Bergen for 39 years. I'm currently on the Bergen Town Council and I am running for another four-year term. Uh, my husband and I had two sons we raised there. Uh, but what I'm most excited about, if any of you have been here when I've come the last two times uh, running for office, I really felt bad that I didn't have a lot to say regarding the disabilities, what's the current legislation, and, and I, I didn't feel knowledgeable, but it was important for me to be here to kind of learn something. But June 11th, I fell down my basement stairs in the middle of the night, and I, I wrecked my left foot. <laughs> so I was in a wheelchair for two months. And I know it's not the same as folks with, you know, lifelong disabilities, but boy, did it open my eyes. And, and one of them is where I work at the town of Stafford. We have the automatic door openers, and that's great, except somebody has to turn those on every day. And guess who, what happens? They didn't turn them on. So I would sit in the wheelchair out in front of the building yelling for someone to let me in the building. So I just have to say it gave me just a little glimpse of being disabled. Uh, for a while, really opened my eyes. Uh, so we, uh, two years ago, we renovated our little public library, the Byron Virgin Public Library in Virgin. And one of the top priorities we made sure was that everything was ADA compliant and easy for the handicap. And, and uh, I was so proud that we were able to do that. So, and I'm very attentive with it. Many of you do know Ernie Haywood, and he is our supervisor. He also is one that keeps us on our toes about uh, meeting requirements for the disabled. So that's about it. <laughs> questions? Well, uh, seriously, questions from the audience first? Yes, my name is Erica. I'm on the Independent Living of the Jesse Region Council. Um, one thing that I understand from many different first responders in the community I know a lot of outreach. I talk to a lot of officers, different people. A lot of people in rural communities are shut in. It's a major yeah. problem with shut in. How is that addressable for you? Well, um, the other thing is I don't tell a lot of people this. I've been a, a property assessor for municipalities for 35 years. So I deal with a lot of senior citizens and I deal with disabled for the disability exemption and senior citizens exemption. So I go to their homes. And now COVID put a little bit of a damper on this, but um, I'm back to returning. In fact, I've got an appointment with a disabled person in the town where I work uh, to go to their home to make it easier. Other than that, I'm not sure how other public officials would, ha would handle it. Most that I know, because we are a small town rural, we would go visit the home and help in any way we could that way. There's a large problem also with people not having durable medical equipment that they need, such as shower seats, um, yeah. side over seats, um, commodes, things like that for safety. And that's a really huge hazard, especially for a shut-in person. How would you address that? Well, we have through the um, uh, American Legion in Virgin, they have a loan program for things like in wheelchairs, shower seats. When I fell, I have to admit, my neighbors and my friends came together and I had the electric wheelchair, I had the shower, everything, the walkers. Uh, so my neighbors helped me out, but I have not heard, at least in Virgin, of anyone not having 
what they need uh, to, to um, meet their needs for their disability. If I did, I would certainly call the Legion first, and then I'd probably call here. I was going to say, <laughs> I'd be calling here. Not, if the Legion does not have an available resource, we also have an extensive loan closet yeah. for durable medical equipment. We would like it to be returned. Um, oh, yes. If it is in good shape, but we don't hunt people down, and it is available. Yeah. People, it is available. People can live more safely in their home without these. Yes. Yes. I think, I think the problem I find the most is the folks that don't use computers, uh, internet. Uh, it's, it's probably been one of the toughest things, especially our elderly who are disabled and they don't use Facebook and Instagram to find out what's going on in their community and that. So, um, I belong to one organization where I'm secretary and I still snail mail everything, information to those folks that are just, you know, not computer literate or using the internet. What about railing? Some communities are doing it. I've seen some programs railing to get um, people who are not computer savvy to get them into a class in the library and yeah. in their senior center, someplace that is a community place they enjoy mm-hmm. and not have it be aggravating to them. Just basic skills so they can I believe I believe the Gill Grant Center in mm-hmm. Virgin, right across the street from the school, does offer okay. that for the seniors. They have a great seniors program there, too. Of course, I say seniors. I'm assuming that I'm a senior, and I struggle, too. <laughs> but um, they do offer programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. It does apply to people with disabilities as well. They may be homebound. They may Sure. Yeah, they may need the same outreach. They yeah. may need to learn the same skills. The big thing is for people to let us know. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm on the town board. Let me know because I will find an answer for you as long as I know that there's a problem. So even if you have, if you're disabled and you have family that's helping you or caretakers, call. I'm, my phone is in the phone book, cell phone. Uh, call us to let us know. Then I can react. So. I, I actually have heard that I think from each candidate today. Call me. I wish that there was a way that all of you could make sure your communities know that. Call me. Call my office because we can help. We will find a way. I wish there was maybe some way that that could be put out there. You know, mo- most of the towns <laughs> have stopped doing mailing out newsletters and they're putting them all on the on the internet. Okay. Right there, we've lost a connection yes. with a certain group of people, which upsets me. Most towns, though, if you call the town clerk, they will snail mail you a copy of the town newsletter. So that, that is important. Again, it's just reaching out with your phone, letting us know that there's an issue that you need addressed. Okay. I had no more questions here, Todd. I don't know if you want to. Already, um, being uh, uh, being a person in a small town government, right? And you talked about your disability experience. Could you tell me what you'd like to see in your next uh, in your next period as a town officer in terms of making services more accessible to people with disabilities? What do you see that needs to be fixed? Well, as far as for the town buildings, um, we're in pretty good shape. But what I guess maybe those of us who don't have a disability, usually, we, we forget about our disabled friends. We forget to turn that latch on for the, till the doors will open. And we forget um, that sometimes people are going to need help. So I think it's more it's an awareness of 
all the public to remember our disabled friends and, and how can we help. Uh, in Virgin, we have no more projects at this point in time. We are, I also work in working with the historian because we have a beautiful museum, but there's no restroom facilities. Um, that, and I find that as you get older, you do find that as an important thing. <laughs> um, and, and the actual historian's house, there is no way for a person, any handicapped person to get in the house easily. Uh, we apply for some grants. It's gonna be very expensive to try to get a way for folks who are either in wheelchairs or walkers and that to get into that building. So that's probably the only one right is now. That, is that a historic building? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know. Um, <laughs> and do you know who the ADA 504 coordinator is for the town of Bergen? We don't have one for the town. The school does. You know you're supposed to have one for the town, right? Uh, no, I did not know that. And I'm surprised that Ernie Haywood, who so, <laughs> supervised so that. You could, you could conceivably commit to us today that you would help us solve that oversight for the town of Bergen and get somebody designated, right? Sure. Oh, okay. gosh, yeah. yeah I, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. that Ernie's going to be the person because he deals with that constantly. Uh, right. And, and I would expect that that would probably be true. But even for small uh, cities, towns, and villages, right, you still have to designate an ADA person, and the public needs to know who that person is. Okay, because I'm thinking the town where I work, we, we don't have anybody to my knowledge either. So, and, you know, I'm also a member of the Genesee Association of Municipalities. We meet once a month. That's something I can bring up in all the towns and city villages in the state of Batavia there. Well. Did you know we were supposed to? You're, you're a member of what? Repeat that committee for me again. It's called GAM, Genesee Association of Municipalities. We meet once a month, and on Thursdays, the third, fourth Thursday of the month, and we all talk about issues, town and village issues. So that would be something that um, I'll so I wouldn't be surprised if an advocate called you and said, let's see what we can do to get on their agenda. Because oh, maybe sure. We, we come to a meeting and we talk to them about what their ADA requirements are and kind of great. kind of rumor busts uh, a lot of that thing about how much it costs and how complicated it is because it really isn't. Well, I'm vice chair, so I can assure you we can get you on the agenda. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, if, you ha if I have any other questions in Zoom, please raise your hand. I'll give them a second to raise their hands to see if I have to unmute anybody's microphone. If not, I'm done. I've answered all my, I, I've asked all my questions. And I want to thank you for coming all the way over here and spending time with us. No, thank you. I, I actually thrilled every time you folks invite me. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I enjoy coming over. And again, I've learned something really great again today that I'll take back to the town board. Wonderful, wonderful. I don't see any questions, so I'd like to thank you for your appearance. Okay. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry. I always tell my nap for two. Um, again, my name's Erica. I just want to say I forgot to make my bed today. No, I didn't do it. I was lazy, honestly. But I'm gonna say I forgot. Um, but I didn't forget to leave my phone on in case my dad, who's elderly, needs me. And mm -hmm. um, can you guys all try to remember and try not to say I forgot to turn those buttons on so people can get to you. It is so important. And I'm not I'm not picking on you. Um forgot is a word that it happens. So oh, oh I always turn my phone off and forget I've turned it the, the sound off. So I don't know when someone calls. Yeah. 
you know, we all, yeah, we all forget that. I have a 92 year old mother and a 92 year old stepfather, both handicapped, and I try to make sure I visit. The, the facilities guy for the the town building, right, should be turning those things on when when they do their morning maintenance for the day when they open, right? That's a good point, but we don't have a facilities guy in any of my towns. I'll be honest with you, we don't. We, it's up to us that work there to make sure that whoever comes in first in the morning turns them on, whoever leaves. So, do, do me a favor. Can you send a memo out to everybody to make sure they turn them on and then send us a copy? Well, I, I was yelling at them quite a bit when I was trying to get to work. Yes. <laughs> Even a yeah. checklist for when you enter, when you leave. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody has to just sign their John handcuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Thank you. That's all I have for you. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. And I'm going to get your information, though, before I leave here from somebody. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So I'd like to thank everybody in the room and everybody on Zoom today for our first hybrid Meet the Candidates Day for Independent Living in the Genesee Region. On behalf of my site guy, Scott, and my co-hosts, Mike and Mark and myself, I want to thank you all for coming and I want you to have a great day and please go out and vote. Voting is the only way we make our voices heard. Thank you, Todd. Detective Sergeant, you're assigned the burglary detail. A jewelry store has been robbed. Merchandise amounting to $5,000 has been stolen. The thief made good his escape. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Sunday, September 8th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. My name's Friday. We're on our way out to the scene, and it was 10.18 a.m. when we got to 6247 28th Street, the jewelry store. I'll be right there. Yes, sir. It's not a very big place. Probably more room behind that partition there. Yeah. I'm coming. You the police? Yes, sir, that's right. This is my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. I'm glad to meet you. How you doing, sir? My name's Hemp, Ray Hemp. This is my store. Yes, sir. Sorry I kept you waiting. I was back in the kitchen making some tea. I was a little nervous, you know. Thought it might help. Mm-hmm. You gentlemen care for some? No, sir. No, thanks, sir. 
When did you discover the theft? Well, I got back to the store about 40 minutes ago. Saw what had happened, and I called the police right away. Is everything like you found it? Yes, sir. These cases open? That's right. I haven't touched anything in here. Didn't want a chance messing anything up. Yes, sir. Didn't leave very much, huh? A couple of watch bands is about all. Really cleaned out the place. Now, about the watches, what kind were they? Uh, mostly wrist models. A couple of pocket size. Uh-huh. All different brands, but I just got a bunch of long jeans in. Took every one of them. Yes, sir. Cleaned me out. Can you tell us how they got into the store? Yes. I'll show you how they chopped a hole right through the wall. All right, sir. Right through the wall, in the back. Came right through. You can see there. Goes right into the storeroom of the barbershop next door. Uh-huh. Uh, sure made a mess of the place. Plaster all over the floor. Yes, sir. Pretty much ruined the wall, too. Yeah. Wanted to make sure they'd have enough room. Uh-huh. See, the hole must be about three feet across, Joe. You can see there, right into the storeroom. Yes, sir. I'd better check over there, huh? Oh, I forgot to tell you. The back door to the barbershop is open. Before you officers arrived, I checked out in the alley and I saw it wide open. I guess that's how they got in. Who owns the barbershop, Mr. Hemp? Ed Justin. Had the place over 15 years. You know where he lives? Yes, he isn't home, though. As soon as I saw that hole, I tried to call him. You can give us his address and phone number, can you? Yes. We'll want to talk to him. I've got one of his cars up front. All right, sir. We'll check next door. Look at that hole. Must be a good three feet across, wouldn't you say? Yes, sir. Here, let me get that door for you. Look at that. What's that? Size of that door. Heavy, double locked. Burglar alarm system out in front. On the skylight up there. Doesn't stop them. Yes, sir. Well, we'll check next door. Seems like kind of a nice little guy, huh? Yeah. Wonder why the thief didn't close the door when he finished. Probably nothing left to steal. Yeah. Take a look at the door here. Doesn't look like it was forced. Uh-uh. Well, Justin might have left it unlocked. a mess in here, too. Yeah, looks like they had a head start. Uh, this place must use a lot of hair oil. Yeah, only that's liquid soap there. Oh, yeah. Doesn't look like there's any tools around. Nope. How you doing? Take a look. Want you find something? Come here. What? In the dust here, can you see him? Yeah. Any impressions? Huh. Looks like a stocking foot, huh? Yeah. Well, the guy must have worked with his shoes off. That's the way I'd call it. You notice right here, in the middle of the print, the stains? Yeah, it looks like it could be blood. Possibly might have cut his foot. What do you think? Uh-huh. Well, let's call the crime lab, have him send the crew out to go over both places. Huh? Yeah. Joe? Now, yeah. Take a look at the skylight up there. Mm-hmm. It's broken. You better check the roof, huh? All right. Sure looks like hair tonic. Yeah, it's green. Yeah. There's the drain pipe there. Might have used that to get up. Mm-hmm. We'll let the crew check it. Let's go back in. Yeah. Mr. Hamp? Yes? <clears throat> Find out anything? Well, we're not sure yet, sir. I wonder if you could tell us, is there some way to get to the roof of the building here? Oh, yes, yes. Come on, I'll show you. There, there, you see? Up in the corner, trap door. Mm-hmm. Hinged. Swings right up. Been a while since I've used it. You have something we can use to get up there? Mm-hmm. No, I've got a ladder. I'll get it. All right, sir. You want me to give you a hand with that? Oh, I can get it. All right. 
Here, you better let me help you with that. I'll swing my end over, and you can walk it right up under the trap door. All right, careful now. All right. How's that? That's fine. That'll get it. You want to steady the ladder, Frank? Yeah. Can you get it? No, this bolt's stuck. Just a uh, minute. It's probably rusty. I told you I didn't use it very often. Yes, sir. Okay, that's got it. Good. Okay, now, hang on, will you, while I boost myself up? I got it. Okay. All right. You want to come up, Frank? Yeah. All right, let me give you a hand, huh? Yeah. Wait till I get my foot on the ledge. All right, come on. You gotta lose some weight. Hey, let's take a look at that skyline, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm glad we didn't hit this tire roof at noon. Well, it's still plenty warm. Hey, you can see all of Hemp's place through this one. Mm -hmm. Good spot to case it from, isn't it? Yeah. Let's check that broken skyline. Yeah. Take a look. Yeah, more smears. Well, not much doubt about these. Looks like blood all right, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe they did case the stars from here. Uh-huh. Could have cut his foot on a piece of glass, couldn't he? That's figures. Still not much to go on. Yeah. It'd take a pretty big cut to make these smears. Well, that'd be something in our favor. How do you mean? It won't heal overnight. The crime lab crew arrived and started their investigation. Photographs were taken of the interiors of both stores, and samples of the plaster and lath materials were held as evidence. Latent fingerprints went over both the jewelry store and the barber shop. Frank and I checked with the people in the neighborhood, but none of them could recall seeing any automobiles or strangers loitering in the vicinity. At 7.20 p.m., the barber, Ed Justin, returned. We questioned him. He said he didn't recall locking the back door to the shop, and he said it was more than possible that he did leave it open. We got a complete list of the stolen merchandise from Ray Hemp, along with the case and movement numbers of the watches. These were distributed to pawn shops throughout the city. Frank and I went back to the city hall and had the stats office start a run on the M.O. used in the burglary. 9.47 p.m., Lieutenant Lee Jones from the crime lab called to say that they'd finished their examination of the physical evidence. He told us that the stains we'd found were blood and that he'd have the grouping test finished for us in the morning. He went on to say that the suspect should have particles of plaster dust and other debris in his clothing. Also, if we were able to find the socks that the thief had worn, the pattern of the material would identify them. At 10.15 p.m., Frank and I finished the log and we checked out of the office. The next morning, we started to run down the list that the stats office had furnished us. It took two full days to question all of the men named. At the end of that time, we had what we'd started with, nothing. We talked to informants. None of them could tell us anything. Wednesday, 11.40 a.m., Frank and I checked into the office. Guess I better check the book, huh? Yeah. What do you got? call from Lucarelli over at Narcotics. Yeah. Says they picked up a guy this morning. Luke talked to him and figured maybe we'd want to see him. You say why? Well, he didn't spell it out. He saw our teletype on the jewelry store, I think. Yeah. It's about some watches. We put in a call to Sergeant Roxy Lucarelli at Narcotics Division. Five minutes later, the suspect was brought to our office. He was identified as Frederick Gabriel Garth. He had a record listing several arrests for burglary and narcotics. He'd served one term at the county jail on the narcotics charge. He was brought into the interrogation room where Frank and I questioned him. 
What are you giving me trouble for? I'm clean. They found nothing on me. Is that so? Sure. The marks are old. Been a long time since I had a fix. Uh-huh. Well, what do you want from me? Information. On what? You've been around a while, haven't you, Garth? Sure, I'm a native son. And you must have a lot of friends. A couple. Any of them selling wristwatches? What do you mean? Well, you don't need a drawing for this now. Any of your friends selling watches cheap? No. You sure about that? What are you trying to build? Well, the way it came to us, you can steer us to a cheap watch. Well, you got it all wrong. I don't even own a watch. If I could buy one cheap, I'd have one. Is that right? Well, sure. I always wanted a good one. Mm-hmm. You know anybody who can lead us to a good buy? Well, what's in it for me? What do you got now? Nothing. Well, you're going to leave the same way. Well, no reason for me to give you a hand, then, is there? Then put it down that we're going to have you in here again. The way you act now will go on the books. How about it, Garth? Who's going to know? You, Smith, and me. For real? Won't do us any good to spread it around town, will it? Okay, I met a guy last night, showed me a watch he bought for $5. What'd it look like? Gold. Pretty good watch. This fellow friend of yours? I know him, that's all. You got a name? Yeah, Victor Gordon. Where'd you see him? Hot dog stand. Well, where's that? Out on Western. Western's a long street. Corner of St. Andrews. What's this Gordon do for a living? I don't know. I just see him around the hot dog stand once in a while. You live around there? Yeah, I got a room near 39th and Western. I don't know the number. It's a big green place. Got those kind of plastic shingles on the roof. Red ones. Mm-hmm. You show it to us? Yeah, a friend of mine has a car. We drove him home a couple of times. Did you get a good look at the watch last night? Yeah. What kind was it? Longine. You're pretty sure about that, are you? Sure. I looked at it pretty good. He took it off his wrist, asked me if I thought it was worth five bucks. Uh-huh. Well, I told him it was. At least I'd pay that for it. It was a real beauty. All right. Can you give us a description of this Gordon fellow? Yeah. We want you to show us where he lives. Well, I've ridden this far. No reason to get off now. You got any more on him? You're going to find out anyway. Yeah? This Gordon? Uh-huh. He's an ex-convict. <laughs> We checked the name and description of Victor Gordon through R&I. We found that he'd served one term for armed robbery in an eastern penitentiary and was not on parole at the time. A check of the ex-convict registration gave us his present address. We also found that he was employed at the Belden Aircraft Corporation in San Fernando. We took Fred Garth out to the address on Western Avenue to verify it for us. He pointed out the house and asked that we drop him off near a streetcar line. After that, Frank and I returned to the rooming house and we went up to the third floor. We knocked on the door to Gordon's room and he asked us in. I know what you're clowning on me for. Wild of questions. You ask him to get answers, don't you? We'd like a few. Look, you tell me what all this is about. Maybe it'll shake up my memory. All right, the way we heard it, you were wearing a new watch last night. Well, you got it wrong. Is that so? Yeah, I haven't got a watch. We got it different. Look here. You see one? If I had a watch, you'd be wearing it, wouldn't I? You had one last night, mister. Oh, you're crazy. I haven't got a watch. We are different. Somebody lied to you. I showed you I'm not wearing one. You don't mind if we look around the place? Go ahead. You won't find anything. All right. I'll check the closet, okay? You're wasting your time. You're not going to find anything. Well, then you haven't got anything to worry about, have you? Go ahead and mess up my room. Tear it apart. You're not going to find anything. Why don't you just simmer down there? I just don't want to have to put all that stuff back. Joe. Yeah. What do you got? Take a look. Found one of the shoes there. 38 Colt. Yeah. How about it? You satisfied now? This gun yours, Gordon? Never saw it before. Found it in your closet. It isn't mine. Won't hold. You want to tell us about it? All right, so you found a gun. Is something wrong? You've got a short memory, haven't you? Maybe I got it wrong. I thought you guys were looking for a watch. There's a law that says an ex-con can't have a gun. You want to know that? How about it, Gordon? All right, get your coat. And take me downtown? You called it. What charge? We'll let you know when we write it up. It's a bad beef. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, it is. I don't know what you're after, but I had no piece of it. You want to get the watch? It's in the medicine cabinet in the bathroom. All right, you sit still. I'll get it. I bought it. I paid five bucks. We'll get to that. How about it, Joe? Yeah. You got a pen knife? Yeah, give it here all over. 
you give me the number? I'll check it against the list. Yeah. Wait a minute. It's kind of hard to see. One, six, seven, five, eight. I think the next one's a nine. Let me see that. Yeah, that's a nine. Is it on the list? Wait a minute. Look, I didn't steal it. I was wrong about the gun, but I didn't steal the lock. Look, just sit still. How about it? No, it's not here. Wait a minute. Try the other side. Mm-hmm. Gordon, you're in trouble. Yeah, I know, the gun. No, that's only half of it, this watch. Yeah? It's listed as stolen. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. The suspect was taken downtown and questioned. He continued to deny any part in the thefts. We put in a call to the place where he worked, and we verified that he'd been there on the night of the burglary. After a half hour of questioning, Victor Gordon told us about the man he'd bought the watch from. He said he didn't know his full name, but he knew him only as Kermit. He went on to say that his girlfriend had been with him when he bought the watch and could verify the story. We contacted the girl, Celia Kirk, and we talked to her. She told us the same story we'd gotten from Gordon. She volunteered the information that Kermit lived in the 3800 block on Gramercy Place. She also told us that his girlfriend lived in the 2900 block on 9th Avenue. We got a complete description of the man and we checked it through R&I. We came up with a package for a Kermit J. Wayne. When the mugshot was shown to Gordon and Celia Kirk, we got a positive identification. Wayne's arrest record went back to the time he was 15. He was listed as an expert safe burger and had used a tunneling M.O. on several occasions. Gordon was booked in at the main jail on a charge of violation of the Dangerous Weapons Control Law of 1923, Section 2. 5.40 p.m., Frank and I left the office and drove out to the address on Gramercy Place. Wayne lived on the second floor rear. He wasn't there. In the company of the landlord, we went through his room. Pretty dirty. Yeah. You want to check the dresser, I'll get the trunk. Yeah. Hey, Joe, look. I guess everybody's got this calendar, huh? Yeah, it's real popular. Good. Hey, look at this. Did you turn something? Yeah. Drawer full of dirty T-shirts. You gotta put them someplace. Well, I have gloves for this job. How you doing with the trunk? There's nothing much in it. More of those calendars. Mm. Wayne must be a fine arts patron. <laughs> Dirty shirts in this one. I don't know. Maybe the guy hasn't heard of laundries. What do you think? Uh, well, the trunk checks out. Well, I like that. I should have known. Hmm? Dirty socks. Old drawer full of them. Well, he's neat anyhow. Huh? I'll check the closet. Uh. A lot of hangers. Not many clothes. Maybe the guy's broke, but that's no reason to be so dirty. How about that bundle there? I haven't looked at it yet. Wait a minute. It might be his clean shirts. No, pair of pants. Uh, figures. They're dirty, too. Wait a minute. Something in the pocket here. A pair of socks. Huh. That makes you wrong. Huh? If he was so neat, they'd be with the others. Uh, maybe he had a reason for keeping them here. Why? Take a look. He had a reason. Blood on this one. We 
checked out the rest of Wayne's room, but we turned up nothing to further tie him in with a burglary. We got a description of his car from the landlord, and before we left, we made arrangements for a stakeout to be set up on his room. We took the pair of pants and the blood-stained socks down to the crime lab for examination. 8.20 p.m. Frank and I drove over to 9th Street to try to find Kermit Wayne's girlfriend. We checked the 2900 block, and we found a car that matched the description of the one owned by the suspect. We checked the white slip and found the car was registered to Wayne. Frank pulled two of the leads to the spark plugs, and we went back to our car to wait for Wayne to show up. The night dragged on. 4.29 a.m. It's been almost eight hours, huh? Yeah. Something had happened, don't you? Put in with you. Joe? Drew? You ever notice around the city all the clocks that are stopped? No, I can't say that I have. You know, on business places, storefronts, walls all over. Well, what brought that on? Oh, I just thinking a little while ago. You know, some smart fella did a lot of work fixing them. All the clocks that don't run. Mm-hmm. They're only right two times a day. What? Clocks that are broke. Twice a day, they're right. How'd you like to be right only twice a day? Well, some fellas would be all right. Like who? Guys that bet on the horses. Oh, yeah, probably would. Never thought of that. Wouldn't be so good if you worked in a chicken hatchery, though. Where? Chicken hatchery. What you do know. you mean? Well, those guys up there that look at baby chicks are a day or so old, and they tell what they're going to be. You know, men or women. What? Well, they're going to be... Roosters or hens. Oh, yeah. Pretty good money in it. Well, that's a new one on me. Yeah, but you got to be right. None of this twice-a-day stuff. You know, say a guy bought a hundred little baby chicks expecting to get, uh, you know, 98 hens and two roosters. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he finds out he got just the opposite, 98 roosters and two hens. How do you think he'd feel? Disappointed? You bet he would. That guy would be looking for a new job, too. Well, maybe he could fix those clocks, huh? Well, sure be a lot of money in it for Hold somebody, it. huh? Across the street? Yeah. I see him. I'm talking to somebody inside there. I can't see him too good. Not the right height, though. Yeah. He's coming this way now. Notice the walk? Checks out all the way. Yeah. It's him. All right, wait till he gets in the car. All right, let's go. Right. Hey, hey, fella. You Kermit Wayne? Hey, what is this? Police officers. Are you Kermit Wayne? Yeah, why? Get out of the car. Come on. Keep those hands where you can see them. Why do you want to talk to me? Come on, get out. Just put it down the way you walk, huh? This don't make sense. It does to us. What do you mean? You limp. The suspect was taken down to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. An examination showed that he had a bad cut on his right foot. We contacted the office, and another team of men were sent out to the apartment of Wayne's girlfriend to go over the place. Frank and I took the suspect back to the office. 8.25 a.m. Don't guess we can expect much from Wayne's girlfriend if she's anything like him. No, he's a clam, that's for sure. We're going to need something strong to open him up. Friday? Yeah, Mac. How'd you do out there? I think maybe we got something for you. Yeah. Where is the guy? The next office. Here. You taking a trip, Mac? Uh-uh. Suitcases for you. Watches, rings. Huh. Wayne's girlfriend didn't know it, but she was in the jewelry business. Look at this. All on jeans. How about serial numbers? Haven't checked them yet. As soon as we found this, we came right over. All right. We'll run them. 
you have any trouble? No, really. She was pretty cooperative. Didn't see what was going on. Mm -hmm. We told her Wayne was in custody, gave her a big story. Tells easier than it was. How'd you locate the stuff? When we told her about Wayne, she remembered the suitcase he wanted her to keep for him. Mm -hmm. He told her it was some war souvenirs. Didn't like to leave them in his room. Mm -hmm. Real surprised when she saw the contents. Then she got mad. Said he'd always promised to buy her a good watch. Never had. You can start looking for a new Santa Claus, huh? Yeah. Wayne won't be shopping for some time. We checked the serial numbers on the watches, and we found that they were the ones taken in the burglary of the jewelry store. All of the other merchandise matched the description that we'd gotten from Ray Hemp. 9.18 a.m. All right, you want to tell us how you cut your foot? I'm giving you nothing. You did it on the skylight over the barbershop, didn't you? You tell me. I don't know. Maybe I cut it at the beach. No, we don't think so. I want to see a lawyer. I'll talk to him, but I got nothing for you guys. All right, we got something here we want you to see, Wayne. How about it, Wayne? Look familiar? Oh, you kidding. Bunch of watches. I've seen watches before. Who hasn't? These are a little different. Look at the suitcase. Does that ring any bells? Don't mean nothing to me. You guys are trying to trap me. I know how you are. It won't work this time. I learned all about you cops a long time ago. I get it. Burglary Friday. Yeah, right. Hmm? Both of them, huh? Oh, good. Okay. We'll check with you. Want to give us a story now, Wayne? I'll talk to a lawyer. That phone call there. It just called the third strike on you, mister. More blood. All right, I'll give it to you straight. When you went into that jewelry store, you cut your foot. You left blood smears all over the place. You've got to stay away from comic books. We got pictures of the smears. Our crime lab matched them up with a pair of socks that we found in your room. The pants we found are loaded with debris that you picked up when you went through that wall. And we can prove it came from the same place. Sound like we're bluffing? You want to tell us about it now? Don't think you're so smart, you ain't. You just got the brakes, that's all, just the brakes. That's all. Yeah, you cops ain't smart. I learned it real young. Once in a while, the brakes fall on your side. Something else you should have learned real young. You wouldn't be worrying about the brakes now. What's that? The Eighth Commandment. The story you've just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. J. Wayne was tried and convicted of burglary in the first degree. Victor Cavell Gordon was found guilty of violation of the Dangerous Weapons Control Act and received sentence as prescribed by law. Burglary in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than five years. Violation of the Dangerous Weapons Control Act is punishable by imprisonment in the county jail for a period of not more than one year or a fine of $500 or both such fine and imprisonment. You have just heard Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action, and starring Jack Webb, a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. intended for listeners who are blind, have